What is up, Jays fans? Uh, Matt Dean-Renas from White and Blue Review here. Um, pleased to be joined by, once again, back in action. Uh, actually, he's always been in action. just hasn't been out of podcast action, I guess. But Johnny Atawa from the Omaha World Herald. Uh, getting comfy enough with dad life that he wanted to stick around and record a pod for Creighton Seton Hall. Um, and he wanted to record it in the event win or lose, so it's not just like a fair weather podcast. Right. It's like he's like I'm I'm good no matter what. Yeah. So uh Glad to be here, man. Yeah, first of all, welcome back, sir. Even though we've like, you know, I have to officially congratulate you, you know, for the public to hear me say it. But even though it's like old news or whatever. Nah, it's all good. Uh you did get a congrats on the sex from Josh Peterson. Uh that was his question, I guess. So that was his congratulations to you on the podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, a little bit, but, you know. Uh, so, yeah, how's dad life, man? Like, let's, let's, let's like, ease back into Nobody cares about that. Let's I care. About oh, you're such a cute little baby. You didn't even put him out there yet. Do you put him on Facebook at all? Like, no, I, I show off. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. There's no question about that. Uh, Has little, it changed you as a sports writer at all? I don't know. Has it changed the way you watch sports? Is it louder in the room when you're watching sports? <laughs> <clears throat> he and I have watched a lot of basketball. I will say yeah. that. I've watched a lot of basketball with him in my arms, so that's been cool. He does not know what it's like to watch Indiana lose to Purdue in hoops. That's, that's a, right. Or Purdue lose to Indiana, right. I should say. I mean, that's, I don't want to give. I don't want to obviously take away from Crane's accomplishments, but I think the Jays are something like 10-2 and two since Simon's been born. So There's, no, there's no coincidence. This <laughs> is life, right? Um, yeah, but no, congratulations, man. I'm, I'm super happy for you, and uh, and I'm glad you're back on this podcast and and also enjoying dad life. So welcome back. Um, let's let's uh, tee up this uh, epic day at the at the Chai. Um, Creighton makes history, uh, wins their a share of their first Big East regular season title. Um, one of those like trademark onslaughts they've been accustomed to doing of late. Uh, they yeah, found right. it basically in crunch time, and because of how long it lasted, they didn't actually give Seton Hall six, but 60 seconds to recover from it, and it was just basically over at that point. So uh, just from your perspective, uh, maybe just how the game had transpired, what your, what your thoughts were up until Creighton finally found that knockout mojo they'd been – like I said, accustomed to landing on teams. Yeah, I mean, I think I feel like the whole game I was wondering if if the Jays were capable of such a run. I mean, they had it didn't really feel like a game that was going to lead to such a thing, yeah, right? Because both teams scene, were answering. Yeah, the scene hall was slowing up the pace, mm-hmm. and it was sort of turning the game into sort of like an X's and O's execution battle, where both teams had to be sharp on their. You know, they were calling plays and running their offense and having to work for shots. And so it just kind of felt like almost like a football game where you, after a play, you, you take a break and everyone looks to the sideline for the yeah. next play. And so that's what it felt, felt like. like. every possession was like a battle within a battle, right? Like it just Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there wasn't a lot of flow to it, mm-hmm. which was obviously advantage seen Hall. But then again, maybe it wasn't because Creighton's players talked about how um, – they could use the first 10 seconds of that shot clock <laughs> to catch their breath because they wanted to push tempo and they were moving so much um, on offense. I thought, that was a, I thought that was a funny – when Tyshawn said that, I thought that was like a funny like curveball back at teams that think yeah. they should try to like slow the game down for Creighton. And, and Tyshawn was like, no, Marcus, we actually welcomed that. Marcus Zagorowski, I swear, was like yelling at Seton Hall's players. Constantly. The whole time that they it were t- walking it up, like – I'd imagine that the Jays saw that as a uh, as a sign of weakness, almost yeah, like, like a challenge to their. Oh, you can't. Yeah. You don't want to run up and down the floor with us. So they they used it in a positive way, but I do think that that was the only way that Seton Hall could conceivably like come into this arena and win was they had to dictate tempo and slow the game down. They did for most of it. It's just that um, I felt like Marcus Sigurowski. I mean, he was incredible today and I thought but I thought he was sort of the um he was like the consistent force for the Jays until the end Mm -hmm. until Creighton yeah until everyone else got it was his game until until like like it was a a team-wide show right then the team sort of took it yes obviously I thought that Creighton as a team defended really well and they showed a lot of grit and um 
you know, they brought that competitive spirit that they always do. But like Marcus Zagorowski sort of embodied it or, or maybe he was like the engine of it all. Yeah. Um, Every time it teetered on the point of maybe Seton Hall grabbing control of a stretch, he would he would do something. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he made like he missed his first jumper, then he made five in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, he missed that floater right at the end of the half, but he opened up the second half by making four in a row. And so, I mean, not right, 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 one after the other. I think that's what made it such a impressive performance. Is like all those shots were spaced out and just like you said, kind of at the right time, mm-hmm. uh, timely buckets, I guess you could say, but. Once, because like you think about it, like Tyson, I don't know what he started from three, but he didn't shoot it well mm-hmm. early. Mitch Ballet kind of get free. Uh, Damian Jefferson, I think, started two of six. They really left him almost, mostly. Yeah. I mean, just kind of free to roam wherever he wanted to. They were kind of challenging right. him to beat them early. And I thought. I thought he missed some chances. Denzel Mahoney, you know, maybe was a little bit too quick with the trigger early. Um, so I, 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 I felt like a, a lot of Creighton players offensively were trying to kind of settle. It, it took them a while to figure out yeah. how they wanted to attack this team. But Marcus Zagorowski was there from the jump. And so uh, he he sort of um, – it's almost like he set the table and then the rest of the guys just ate mm-hmm. after that. You know, like they just went to town um, during the final nine minutes of the game. And I think when you look at the – it was a 30-10 to 10 run over that final nine minutes or whatever – Creighton got points from seven different guys. Yeah. Uh, they got points in so many different ways, whether it's attacking in transition or isolation ball, finding a mismatch and going at it. Um, you know, Driving and kick. Driving and kick, yeah. yeah. Um, or just the standard Tyshawn Alexander pull-up three. Yeah, sizing up Mamu and Mamu and, and landing the dagger. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, – I don't know, man. Like this Creighton team – I feel like the story of the season is sort of their unwilling unwillingness is that the right way i don't know like uh they just they don't, they don't shake very often yeah like you can beat them but you can't really you can't really rattle them as easily as maybe you could in past years where if you like that run that that eight run that seed all hit in the second half to take the lead maybe that's a game changer in the past in but in in this instance it ignited the best spurt of the game for Creighton and yeah. they actually put it away they're like in a moment where Seton Hall probably felt as good as they've felt all game in terms of their ability to answer what was at the time Creighton's best stretch of the game where they pushed out to a five-point lead and seemed to be settling in Seton Hall answers right back with a methodical 8-0 run it didn't really come quick it came possession by possession I think there were a couple timeouts in between yeah couple I think, breaks in action I think uh, it was like a seven possession stretch or something like yeah. that so, yeah, but, so it, but it gave, it but Seton Hall, you know, stretch, ends yeah, up with the lead and Creighton and scored in a little bit, and then it just like right away. It was like three point play, Bishop, uh, transition layup, Zagorowski, transition layup, Balik. You know, the three ball started flying from Tyshawn and Marcus. Defensive plays, uh, I think Tyshawn uh, stripped Miles Powell. Christian Bishop hit the floor to recover, for, or Denzel Mahoney hit the floor to recover it. Um, it was just, it's almost like you know that moment where you're like, uh oh, Creighton was like, nah. And that's I think that's been the difference this year as opposed to past years. And I don't know, you know, what to put my finger on in terms of one single thing. But I mean, maturity is obviously one of them. Experience is the other. They've been in the fire together, um, and I just don't think they have a fear of a fear of you know it coming unglued or fear of failures that maybe they have maybe in the past. If they would maybe have moments of uncertainty now, they just kind of know how to answer that because they've yeah. been through it before yeah they're a really confident group and uh i mean i think i don't know i've always i've, I've kind of felt that marcus zagorowski well all these guys have had these traits sort of within them you know touch on alexander's a confident player mitch Bowie's confident christian bishop they're confident guys but like it didn't show um consistently last year but i feel like marcus zagorowski's emergence his assertiveness, his growth as a leader has kind of brought that out of guys. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly um, his... His uh, swagger is a little bit infectious. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so they don't, like you said, they would they, they can take a punch and then they come right back at you. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did that, you know, this this entire game, this entire season. And uh, they're rewarded for it because obviously now they get to celebrate a championship. So mm-hmm. I think I was really, really impressed with Creighton's ability because, you know, to get to this point, they had have obviously done things that they hadn't, 
you know, accomplished before, winning top 10 games on the road, knocking off top 25 teams, having a great February, um, you know, all those things that were kind of like, you know, milestone first within a season. This still was something that they hadn't done yet in the Big East was face a team like a Seton Hall that has been there and done it um, and know that it's probably going to take your best effort to get the job done. And even with the first, you know, 20 to 25 minutes to 30 minutes of the game where it was kind of like back and forth, they always made enough plays to avoid there being a lull in terms of crowd energy. And I thought they were just able to constantly provide jolts of energy with a hustle player, a big three, or, you know, a great possession that constantly kept the crowd, like, at a fever pitch, on their feet, cheering for something. Um, to the point where when Creighton would make runs, it would overwhelm Seton Hall to the point where they would need a timeout and they would need to regroup. You know, Creighton didn't have to call that many of them. They didn't have to regroup themselves. They kind of just always came out ready to answer whatever Seton Hall's best punch was at the time. And then when the stretch at the end, when Seton Hall grabbed that three-point lead with about nine minutes and change to go, um that run that Creighton put on to, to basically seal the deal, it just turned the place into a, a giant party at that point because the crowd was already still engaged and they weren't really – only a couple plays got them fired up and then it was just like a – just spiraled downhill from right. Seton Hall. It got out of control. They had no way to kind of get it back. Um, and I think one of the reasons for that, once again, we've talked about it all year, but again, Tyshawn Alexander, um, while he didn't put – the clamps on Miles Powell to the degree that he did in the first game, I would actually argue maybe he defended him better than the first time and actually frustrated him even more despite Powell's numbers being better than they were the first game. I thought the first, like, eight to ten minutes of the game, Tyshawn Alexander set a tone, right? Yeah, that was an incredible effort by him. Um, Just the way he moved his feet. He he drew a charge on McKnight. Drew a charge on on Mamu. Mamu. Mamu, yeah. Forced a shot clock violation um, with his defense at one point. Blocked. Stripped Powell once. That led to a charge. Didn't he? Uh, uh, blocked, pin blocked him at the rim. Yeah, pin blocked that him at the rim. I was thinking like Damian. deflected. Maybe it was the first play of the game. He deflected, deflected, deflected his pass. That led to a run out for Tyshawn. Right. Yeah, his own yeah. run out. Uh, Damian passed it out to him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, his defense was really good. But I thought, I mean, as a team, they were – Creighton was like – I thought Marcus did a good job on Quincy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but it was, it's a collective effort. How many times did they switch um, throughout possessions? Sometimes Marcus got matched up on, you know, uh, uh, Mamu, Mamu at yeah. times. And, and just their ability, um, I thought they are, their closeouts were pretty crisp and under control, uh, whether they were closing out on Miles Kale or Shabar Reynolds. But a lot of those situations when they have to – rotate back to the weak side because they're focusing so much attention on Mamu or Miles Powell mm-hmm. or that ball screen action between Quincy McKnight and the big. I just thought they were flying around really well and they were just, they seemed to be locked in and connected. And then, you know, the other thing I think is worth mentioning is Denzel Mahoney's defense as well. Mm-hmm. His versatility, his ability to, uh, you know, defend inside and battle with those bigs, but also then step out. And I think there was back-to-back possessions at the start of the run that decided the game where he matched up against Miles Powell and uh, forced Miles Powell to give it up late in the, sh- in the shot clock on one, and then the next one, uh, I think he contested a shot. At yeah, the, the first one you mentioned, I think, was what led to the Zagorowski's run out. Yeah. Uh, and the, and the second one led for good, right? Yeah, and the second yeah. one led to uh, Mitch Ballard right. layup. So I, I just thought... Tyshawn was great defensively, but as a whole, the effort and focus was there as for the, t- Keaton from on the, the game team. Plan. Yeah, yeah, from yeah. a team perspective. And it's, it's interesting that they were able to do that because Seton Hall, through the kind of they, – they came out with a little bit maybe what Creighton wasn't planning on them doing was slowing the game down and, and uh, not really getting into what they wanted to do until there was under 20 seconds left in the shot clock. They kind of wanted to just take the air out of the ball and make that kind of like a rock fight, I guess, because they felt like, from a physicality standpoint, maybe if you turn it into a quarter-to-quarter game and just bank bodies around for 60 to 65 possessions, it favors the Pirates more than Creighton. It takes the crowd out of the game, and it just turns it into um, a favorable situation for Seton Hall. But what happened? But Creighton was able to just – they were opportunistic. They, 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 were, they, they flew around defensively, as you mentioned, 
Um, they created enough turnovers, enough live ball turnovers that they were able to get, you know, runouts that got the crowd involved. The crowd really kind of like had moments where they fed off of defensive effort. I, you know, you can hear when Tyshawn is chasing Miles Powell around and he stays in front of him, he stays down on shot fakes. And, and I think Powell two or three, maybe even four times left his feet on what would, would normally be a shot, but he had to give it up because Tyshawn stayed disciplined, stayed down and just kept a hand up and it would be a tough, you know, a tough hit for, for Miles. And the crowd fed off that type of stuff. They, yeah. they kind of were really tuned in on, you know, the game within the game in terms of what Creighton was able to execute on the defensive end of the floor. And I think that fed into their ability to execute against, uh, you know, what Seton Hall did was, you know, counter to what Creighton thought they would do. I thought it was interesting, too, that Seton Hall, I mean, as a byproduct, again, of slowing the game down, which, I, I, again, I think they had to do. But, you know, instead of, I think Coach McDermott mentioned this at the end of the game about how after the game that, when, they, when you start your offense with 20 seconds on the shot clock or 18 on the shot clock, that's 12 to 10 to 12 less seconds that Creighton has to defend. It's 10 to 12 less seconds that you have to run your offense and to send Miles Powell on screens or to get ball reversals, to set ball screens. Um, I thought that there were a lot of instances when Seton Hall had the ball at the top of the key or in a one-on-one matchup on the wing with like six seconds left on the shot clock. And it's yeah. like, oh, that's not... I feel three of their first five positions in the second half, they almost had shot clock violations. Yeah. They had one for sure, then there was a turnover at the end of the shot clock of the other, and then they were inbounding the ball with four seconds on the shot clock, I think, either one possession later or two possessions later. So they were like right. almost their own worst enemy in that regard so in terms of their execution. If, if you can defend the first action of a set play call, basically, mm-hmm. if you're Creighton, then suddenly you force Seton Hall into... Scramble mode. Right. Yeah. With not much time left. No. And so I think a five-on-five five scramble right. mode, which is tough because... Whereas normally, if you stop that first action, then Seton Hall could counter with another action or try to uh, capitalize on your scrambling or rotating well, defense. Mac mentioned being able to run Powell off of three different sets. Yeah. Three different, you know... Ch- you know, ch- have make Ty chase him all over the floor, as opposed to just chasing him one time, um, because of the time they were taking off the clock. So yeah, in that regard, they might have been there. They might have been a detriment to their own offense as much as they were trying to be a detriment to Creighton's. Yeah. The other thing too, they I think you have to know it. I I, <coughs> I have to look at it. I mean, but I thought Creighton did a better job on the glass down the stretch too. Mm. Like held Seton Hall to one shot. Felt like early there was a lot of second chance opportunities for Seton Hall, yeah. and those dwindled late. Right, yeah. and so that was important to kind of get there. Obviously, Creighton gets its transition game going, and uh, and obviously, you know, avoids having the momentum let down of a tip in. I think Quincy McKnight got a tip in at some point mm. late, but that that's all I can remember during those final nine minutes when when uh, Creighton really, you know, laid the hammer down. Yeah, I'm purposely avoiding the historical ramifications of this game because I feel like a lot of our questions are going to lead us into the into those talking points um, in case anybody's wondering why I haven't mentioned the elephant in the room of the Big East title itself. But um, one thing I'm curious to pick your brain about and just see if we can um, maybe have a little fun with it is Creighton shot 14 and 26 from three, and I, it felt like they could have been better. Oh, no doubt. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I felt like they missed a lot of good looks in the first half. Yeah. So that number actually could have been much more. Like, I don't even want to say they could have hit 20 and 26, but it felt like um, Mitch missed an open one time, missed an open and one in the corner. Were both of those like down and out? I yeah, mean, they, they like, felt like rattled in yeah. and out. Um, and DJ had a couple good looks. Although you, you, I guess if you're Seton Hall, you're living with that. But yeah. it felt like Creighton, as good as they were, as as unbelievable as they were from three once again in their own building, they I felt like they could have been even better. Well, I mean Seton Hall for much of the first half played his zone, mm-hmm. and what that zone did, it essentially kind of like sealed did off. Do you think the, it was a matchup? I couldn't really tell what its principle. I, I, I felt like their bigs were really confused about what they were supposed to be doing yeah. because I think it was in an, an effort to keep Gill around the rim and keep his presence there. Right? Yeah, I thought like sealing off the interior and okay. keep Creighton because Creighton uh, in 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 Newark spread the Pirates out and attacked the paint yeah. really well. Damian um, and Denzel specifically, right. specifically, yeah. And then they ran, like, Christian got a couple um, takes to the rim, and, and Marcus could weave his way into the heart of the defense and then find Christian or a cutting guard or something like that. So I thought Creighton did a lot of good work on the interior against Seton Hall, so I'm guessing the zone was one, you know, you go zoned one to keep Gill glued to the paint. Sure. And two to keep, obviously, Creighton from uh, slicing you up inside, but 
when you do that, I mean, sure, Creighton can't get all the way to the cup, but it can get deep enough into that zone where then it can kick out and uh, or just move creatively along the perimeter and find openings for three. I mean, how many instances? I think there were a couple instances where guys got free in the corner because they just yep. got. I mean, St. Hall's players just that, left them. Yeah, where it's like like someone would come out and then it, it would almost be like it would almost drag two seat on defenders and they would forget that Creighton likes to run that trailer off the baseline and, and fill that corner spot. Exactly. And it's immediate just kickback. So they um, – Seton Hall, because I think it was pressed out so far on the three point, along the three-point line in the first meeting and got burned a little bit by that, mm-hmm. decided to kind of like, okay, we don't want him. I think Creighton only had eight points in the paint in the first half and I would say at least four, maybe six of those were front, were off like runouts, mm-hmm. fast-break runouts. Sure. So – um, that was their plan, but as a result, they gave up a lot of open jump shots. And, and they adjusted a little bit in the second half. I saw less zone. I remember yeah. they played more man, but um, Creighton shooters, obviously, they found their rhythm. And, uh, yeah. I think it just goes to, helps. like, what we what the players they shoot, talked about. Like you about. said, they, shoot it, they just shoot it really well in this building. And yeah. They have all biggies. I mean, they're plus 40% from three here, and they were again today. So, like – it just becomes very difficult to stop everything. Yeah, and you have to pick. You have you basically have to pick the way you want to get beat. Yeah, and then hope they aren't good enough to do it. Yeah, you know but they mean? did lose. They did lose. And Kevin Willard mentioned this after the game that he thought there was a couple those back to back threes that Mitch Ballack hit were were big sort of momentum changers mm-hmm. because and those seem to be dis- miscommunication yeah. errors because they left him. They did in spots that they don't want. You don't want that. Might have been the la- his three in the corner. Might have been the last time that Seton Hall played zone. <laughs> I don't yeah. remember because they lost him in the zone, in the back of the zone, and mm-hmm. that might have been it. I don't, I don't, I'd have to go back and watch it, but they lost him in the zone. Then I think they lost him at the top of the key on like a maybe a screen and pop or something like that. So mm-hmm. slip screen pop something like. But anyway, uh, yeah, the Jays. It's it's really incredible when you go back and look at their numbers and just sort of the uh, the potency that they. Um, that they recorded here at home. It's, yeah, I mean, it's just go look at Marcus Zagorowski. I only did the last three, but look at his last five home games. Mm. I don't even. It doesn't seem real. It seems like like in a video game when you jack up like the the attributes to ninety nine across the board and you just let the dude eat. Like his numbers are stupid. So the last three games is it seven for seven, four of six, and five of five from three. At yes, home? yes. <laughs> He's shooting. He's shooting six. He's sixteen of eighteen from three in the last three home games against Butler, Georgetown, and Seton Hall. Butler and Seton Hall are two of the best defenses in the country, right? Like, well, Butler's defense kind of like dipped as the season went on. But I mean, he's going against Aaron Thompson, who's yeah. a Naismith semifinalist. I mean, whatever. Uh, it, that, it's just wild. Like his number, I don't even know. It's, it's just stupid. I don't um, know. Ke- Kevin Willard said after the game that like if if Marcus Zagorowski plays like that, nobody's beating Creighton. No, I told. I mean, yeah, like if because the things that they tried to do to Marcus, they they threw different. So they they, they tried doubling him to get the ball out of his hands. Um, they tried chasing him with different defenders. They tried, you know, Quincy McKnight, who's their best on-ball guy, on him. Um, they hard hedged with the big. Uh, they zoned, like they tried different things to keep him, you know, thinking more than just playing. Yeah. And it doesn't matter like that. It go. I think it goes back to what the players talked about after Georgetown because Georgetown threw a lot of different defenses at Creighton too and it didn't matter Creighton was really good at reading and knowing where they're supposed to be knowing how to attack certain um, coverages and I just think when yeah when Marcus Zagorowski as he's running the show he, he understands where he's supposed to be where other guys are supposed to be and the the cohesiveness with this offense right now um, with the experience that they have and the minutes they've logged together, they just there just isn't a question that they don't know the answer to. So okay. it's all about execution. Um, let's see. Should we jump into questions now? Yeah, I think, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, we didn't. I again, I purposely didn't mention any of the, you know, historical ramifications of what this game meant because there's a lot of your guys' questions about that. Seton Hall's reaction to it that kind of will get us into those talking points. So. Um, let's just start with um, uh, Jeff Hansen. 
Yeah, this is so this is gonna get us started. Uh, Jeff Hansen wants to know scale of one to ten. What is Kevin Willard's level of butt hurt? Um, I have him at eight fifty three, but wanted to confirm. Um, first of all, I think. Uh, first of all, it's pretty funny. Second of all, some of his quotes are getting kind of like taken a little bit out of context. He's not. I don't think he's so much upset at Creighton for celebrating this accomplishment as much as he is a little disappointed that his team kind of didn't get their shine. Um, but but that, it was a tough situation because they had the senior night to win it outright, and they lost. So that's kind of like – I mean, they could have celebrated. Right. The, I mean, didn't – now, granted, it did not work out well for San Diego State, but they celebrated a regular season title before they played UNLV on their home court. They, they, they clinched a title and they celebrated before the game, I think. Yeah. They ended up losing. Uh, but they could but have. you still they, have your moment, Yeah, right? they could have had yeah. their moment before the game uh, against Villanova if they wanted. Yeah. I, I mean, so honestly, my I, thing is, I don't know if it's so much of a Lord thing, but it is definitely an East Coast media thing because I've seen three or four different um, writers who cover the Rutgers, New Jersey, Seton Hall sports scene that are uh, – that definitely got their feathers ruffled by Creighton celebrating this to the magnitude they did. Yeah. I just think they don't understand what this meant to Omaha and what this meant to Creighton. That's just them being kind of out of touch, not Creighton being out of touch. You know I, mean, I mean, I think if the roles... Because if you're Creighton, you, how the, do you not do that? I'm just saying if the roles were reversed and Seton Hall won it on its home floor, don't or, or clenched a share on its home sure. floor, don't you think they would have done the same thing? I, I do. absolutely do. I don't know why you yeah. wouldn't if you're that. So, I don't know. I, I, uh, I get his point, though, because, like... He was just like, I mean, honestly, they they could have reserved. They should have reserved a hoop for Seton Hall to yeah. cut down the nets, or at least well, given him a trophy in the uh, in the in the locker room or something like that. that I don't want to. I don't want to like confirm or unconfirm certain things, but I I do know there were conversations about you know giving teams chances to celebrate. Okay. If, 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 if in the event Creighton does win, there's a three way share and whatnot. Yeah. Um. And those offers were declined. Right. So, I mean, it, it, so it, from that perspective, what is Creighton supposed to do? This is their flagship program. This is the reason they're in the Big East in, in the first place. And you're talking about it's the first title um, after, you know, what, six, seven, eight years of, you know, coming close maybe twice, 13-14, and then the 16-17, which maybe was trending in that direction before Maurice Watson's injury. Um, but, I mean, this program means so much to everybody in this community. Um, I don't know how you could. I don't know how you could, if you know that, feel like, uh, feel like Creighton kind of like you know went the classless route by pulling out all the bells and whistles for this moment. Yeah. I mean, as Kevin Willard told reporters afterward, he said something like. We're going to celebrate at home, and he should. They should. They should. That's exactly what they should do. See, Hall's not used to winning the Big East title in the regular won, season. They haven't won one since 93. Yeah, so, so go celebrate. Who's right. going to stop you? Tell your fans to show up. Let them have your moment. Yeah. I mean, not, the moment shouldn't be the problem. Right. So I think, like, yeah, I just, you know, these, these you know, veiled threats of, oh, this isn't going to fly with the rest of the Big East when Creighton comes out to New York for the tournament. Like, why? Who in, who in Which which of these ten – Schools wouldn't do the same thing. Yeah. Maybe Villanova because they, they wake up in the morning and it's excellence. Yeah. yeah, like I don't, you know, woo. Um, I mean, didn't when, when didn't I mean Xavier did it and when didn't they celebrate after a loss because Nova's loss clinched their title? Like I swear, I remember. I thought Xavier lost and clinched and still remember. celebrated. Like, yeah. what do you want from teams? It's an accomplishment. Um. I mean, that, that, that's the thing is, like, the, the electricity of the moment, as, you're talk, as you talked about, like, the pursuit of, uh, of, of a tangible sort of accomplishment that Creighton had been on since it joined this league. Like, so much went into that uh, celebration that goes beyond just you know a regular season share I feel like that it, it was sort of the uh, I don't know it was, it, it it's was, not just they're not just celebrating the accomplishment of three months they're celebrating the accomplishments of you know 
the eight years they've been here, the two decades it took from Altman building it back up to McDermott taking it over and carrying it um, to new heights. And then it's, it's the fruits of all that labor. It is. Because it's more than just the guys that are in that locker room that have been here for a handful of years. It's, it's guys who, it's, you know, it's Bruce Rasmussen, it's, it's his athletic department, it's, the, it's Len Gordy, it's Greg McDermott, it's the people, Patty Gallus, it's everybody who's been here for decades. And the players. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the community, sure, yeah. it's the community yeah. that has grown up watching this team through multiple generations. It's, it's, it was, you know, that, that, again, like, ten years ago this month, Creighton was back in the Civic Auditorium, which doesn't even exist anymore, playing in front of 4,000 people in a CIT game. And then Ada Alma left for Oregon, and people were wondering if the best days had already passed, like if they were ever actually going to get to the next level. That's what they kept saying. The, the next level was constantly the talking point, the narrative of what's going to take Creighton to get to the next level, to, to be Gonzaga-like. you know. And then Altman leaves... McDermott comes in, three years later you're in the Big East, you, that's your next level, and now they win the league, a share or otherwise. That's a moment you celebrate. That's a moment you cherish. And Creighton, I don't think, misstepped at all in what they did. I felt like that was a pretty appropriate, well-planned celebration according to what they've, according to what they've invested in this program. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, I mean, I get Kevin Willard's point because he's like, well... Yeah, I get Willard's perspective. He's like, look, yeah, for sure. they're out there celebrating the students storm the court. They're cutting down the nets, and our guys are in the locker room, like... Feeling like they failed. Yeah. And they didn't. They accomplished the same thing that Creighton did. Right. I totally agree. I so, get his perspective. That, it's but, the sports yeah. writers who were like, who act like Creighton's walking into a hornet's nest oh, in a week. In New York. It's like, why? Who's... Wh- what are they going to say? You shouldn't have celebrated? I mean, there's... Yeah, I don't that's know. That's hypocritical that. if that's the if that's what the West the rest, if that's how the rest of the league feels. Um, uh, Andrew Berkman wants to know uh, what were the crucial moments this season that made today possible. A lot over the past three months um, had to go right for this team to hang a banner and cut down the nets. Um, hard to not think the Providence game for one because that could have sent the season careening off some kind of ledge had they not made the plays, Tyshawn and Marcus down the stretch that they did, because I felt like that game had gotten away from them, and that would have sent them to one and four in league play? Two and four. Two and four. They were yeah. two and three. Um, yeah, so I felt like that was a big moment where it was like, oh, Creighton might have just saved its season there. I thought um, I actually thought the days leading up to Providence were pretty crucial. Some of the things that happened beyond, behind the scenes, in particular, the conversation Coach McDermott had with Tyson Alexander and mm-hmm. the conversation that Tyson Alexander's AAU coach had with him just to sort of kick himself back into gear. You should put that article back out there just for, I don't know, a good revisit to see where it kind of started. How it takes hold, yeah. Yeah, where the leadership kind of really, for, I don't know. That was a turning that, point that kind of That was like solid and concrete at that point between yeah, Tyshawn, Marcus, and Mitch are now all on the same page, and they're going to carry the Blue Jays as yeah. far as they possibly can. That was a big moment. Um, I think winning at Nova the way they did, you know, they, I think they built a big lead, but they had to withstand a, a surge, which is basically the exact same thing that they'd had, they did here in Omaha and lost in two, or last, last season, built a lead against Nova and lost in Omaha. So it was like they finally got over the hump against the reigning champions. Talking about learning how to finish. And, yeah. Against the best. Yeah. Learning how to finish against the best. Yeah. So I think that Texas that, Tech might have been a moment for that because they blew a big lead, got sent to overtime. Yeah, made, I was, I was going to bring that up too, but I was going to, I thought it was more the key moment was at the end of the San Diego State game when mm-hmm. they were starting to flip like, the page. That one's done. Right. On. Yeah. The game was still going on and the starters were out of the game and McDermott was talking to the, the players about, hey, look, like that was bad and we know it was bad, but we also have a game tomorrow and we can mm-hmm. sort of uh, we we can redefine what people think of us or what we think of ourselves, show what we're capable of in this short turnaround, but we have to mentally flip the switch. Those so, may be the first seeds of the next day mentality maybe, that they yeah. adapted throughout, right. throughout that big run in February where they – you know, they won a game. They were told great. They were great things. They were complimented, and they moved on to the next guy. You report and, and just that was carried a, on the next day like it was like it was. This isn't exactly the answer. 
an answer to that question, but to me that was what was so remarkable or has been so remarkable about Creighton's run, especially in February. It just seemed like every game was sort of it, – it, it looked like it was like a stair step. Each game seemed to be a notch above of the one before in terms of like a complete performance type thing. Mm-hmm. Now, Providence was obviously a letdown. Um the way the Friars shot in the second half and Creighton's inability to find a groove offensively, that was a that was a low point in the month. But every other game, it just seemed like Creighton just kept building on its work, uh, you know, continuing to sort of pursue this standard that was raised, the bar was raised after every game. It was like, okay, cool, that was fun, but we can actually be a little bit better, so let's go try to do that. And then they, you know... Do they perform just a tad better, and then they uh, just like I don't know. It felt like um, they showed some mental toughness through success, almost mm-hmm. that um, I would imagine will that'll prove beneficial as the season goes on. So there are probably a lot of critical moments within those games that that really stood out and propelled them on this run. But I feel like Providence game end of San Diego State, into Texas Tech. Those are probably the two that yeah. stand out. See, the first Seton Hall game might have it kind of like looked a little bit like this one. It was more of an offensive show than in, in terms of not in terms of high pace, high possession game. But Seton Hall took a late lead there and Creighton hit a big run to answer it um, and never let the lead go down the stretch. Yeah. I think that was with six or seven minutes left in Newark. Today it was with nine minutes left in this one. But maybe that you know, that moment where Seton Hall put together that, that eight run that I th- thought was a little, you know, methodical. It wasn't a quick spurt. Um, Creighton felt some familiarity with that one. Like, look, we've been in this position before against the same team, and we were able to put something significant together in terms of an offensive spurt that put the game in our favor for good, and they did it again today. Yeah. I was also thinking of the Marquette game on the road, mm-hmm. just like – Especially the start of the second Marquette half. Marquette tied one. that one up in the second half, right? Yeah, yeah, the start of the second half where Marquette kind of like Tyshawn took one to the throw. Christian got thrown to the ground. Um, Marquette made a surge, tied the game, and then Creighton was like, all right, that was – we got hit. We got punched in the mouth. But mm-hmm. then they answered. And so that was sort of – I think, think Marcus literally got punched in the mouth today and actually responded. At yeah. some point, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's just an affirmation of what they have kind of preached all year of like – we want to be the tougher team. Mm-hmm. We may be smaller. We may not jump as high. Yeah, we may, and, and that doesn't strong. mean that doesn't mean they're not going to get hit either or get punched. But it just means constantly have, you know, some fight back in you. Yeah. Um, James Parker wants to know why are all these NYMNJ sports writers so sad that Creighton celebrated? I don't know. I don't know. I just think I missed it. I wasn't on Twitter, so I didn't yeah. see the reaction. But I, it's just uh. I don't know. They covered that team, so they felt like they. And then Seton Hall kind of set up a moment to celebrate with a win over Villanova, and it didn't happen. So, yeah. like, from maybe that perspective, from the sports writer's perspective, they didn't get to cover Seton Hall's moment like maybe Omaha got to cover Creighton's. And even though both teams accomplished the same thing, um, only one got it to celebrate. Of, I mean, yeah, only one got to celebrate it. Right in a public. It's just like yeah, it's just the way that it happened. It's right. uh, again. I think that Seton Hall should have had a trophy in the locker room. Yeah. We should have been able to celebrate in there. I don't know why it didn't happen that way, just, but that I do think that should have happened. Yeah. Like, they should have gone home with a trophy. They should have celebrated against Villanova. I mean, they did a senior they, day they thing, yeah, and Miles Powell was crying. So like, they if should, you're, you're going to draw had, the emotions out of him anyway, had the trophy. Yeah, raise the banner before the yeah. game, like they a ring ceremony it. in the NBA before the season starts. Right, yeah. like you know, give them their moment for sure. I think I think that's more of a mistake on Seton Hall's part yeah. than it is something that Creighton it's should just, be ashamed of. It just seemed of. fitting given how, uh, you know, what a, an electric atmosphere, a game yeah. that was going back and forth, and then Creighton the way they clinched it at the end, like I get that a lot of it was already planned, but mm-hmm. yeah, they, it, it they definitely set that up seem, for it didn't seem out of place. Right. So given all, you know, Creighton's history and then just the way that game played out a top 15 matchup against two of the top teams in the league <coughs> that was, uh, you know, a back-and-forth affair for 30 minutes, uh, an incredible chess match, mm-hmm. and um, 
players making big time shots on both ends and then Creighton obviously surged ahead with a really um, sort of profound statement and emphatic run it just felt right to celebrate in that way agreed um, Wilbur wants to know since uh, he runs Creighton's social media accounts since Creighton uh, is now apparently the bad boys of the Big East should they show up to New York all wearing NWO t-shirts <laughs> interesting yeah, I wonder so if that'll be a warm up I, I am kind of curious we'll see how they're received I mean I don't know I don't think that that's going to be that way I mean they're going to have a target on their back if they play Seton Hall again I think it's going to there's going to be some sure. drowned of emotion from that for sure, sure. but I, I don't mean, but I, I don't think anyone else in the league is going to be like tis tis Creighton how dare you I just think Villanova's it, probably like, dude, act like you've been there before, man. Come on. Yeah, and then Creighton's like, well, we haven't. Yeah. They're like, okay, fine. <laughs> fine, this one time. <laughs> um, let's see. But that's what's interesting, too, about it. I mean, obviously, they all three shared the title, but mm-hmm. you know, Creighton went 1 1 against Nova and 2 0 against that's, Hall. So. That's the Jordan shrug that Creighton has. They have yeah. the tiebreaker, they're the one seed. Right. It's they a split, tiebreaker. They split with Nova, they swept Seton Hall. If Seton Hall didn't want Creighton to celebrate on their home floor, they could have beaten them one of the two times, and that would have yeah, erased that. Would have, that. Right, that wouldn't have been they didn't have to beat them today. They could have beaten them in Newark, and Creighton yeah. wouldn't have celebrated anything today other than the seniors. So, right. again, it's not it's so not, it's not it, totally Creighton like manufacturing a moment. Yeah. Creighton earned the moment and then celebrated it. It would feel a little weird if Creighton were 0-4 against those teams and, at a time and, with, and, and then and celebrated the share. Like sure. I would agree. Yeah, like if they... But given that they you know really earned their way to it, I think that... It was warranted. Yeah. Uh, Katie Hyder, <laughs> a notorious Mac uh, detractor, is throwing himself out there for um, maybe Mac apologists. You could put me on blast. Uh, Greg did more this year than I thought he could. He met the challenge this year. I'm glad to eat this crow. Well, good. I mean, it's all about how the crow, you know, make sure you season it properly and, you know, grill it safely so the meat's, you know, so you don't get sick. <laughs> I don't know what crow tastes like, but yeah, there. I mean, you're not alone, Katie. That's for sure. And I think uh, not all of the criticism over the years has been unwarranted either. Um, but yeah, this is definitely a crow day for uh, the Matt can't get it done crowd. So enjoy. I mean, yeah, you know, celebrate because you're you know it's at the at the end of the day, it's the team you want to win winning. So right, that's good. Yeah, just celebrate with them. honestly, with the like game. the coaching. What's job? your side dish for crow? What do you think they should go with? Humble pie? I don't know. Oh, crow and then humble. Okay. That's, I, I like that. Greg McDermott and his staff have done a really good job. Like, their uh, ability, they cultivated a culture, and mm-hmm. a lot of this has been player-led, honestly. Like, the way that this team's able to focus, the way that it goes about um, its day-to-day routine, the way that it reacts in the moments to, to adversity. Yeah, there's the coaches set a tone, but the players have really um, – run with it in in their own way mm-hmm. but from a strategic standpoint like what greg mcdermott's drawn up for this team like i feel like he he has so many pieces to play with it's just like i mean he's like a kid in the playground you know like mm-hmm. i don't know do i want to go on the slide or the yeah. swing or like how do i how do i, do I want, want this guy to get on the heater right now yeah. I, don't want that guy. I mean he's he's uh been able to sort of flex his creative muscles with the way mm-hmm. that he's designed offense and uh you know al, al- huss um, has played an integral role too in sort of helping this offense elevate to the next level. I mean, the the uh, hit and chase thing that they run with Christian Bishop at the top of the key has been um, a, an incredible weapon for them and has unlocked a new level of potency, I think, for this offense. And then defensively, I mean, Paul Luff's defensive game plans, I mean, <laughs> Creighton doesn't have a rim protector. Now, Bishop did block a couple shots today, yeah. and I feel like he's gaining more comfort uh, comfort and confidence. Yeah, but he's uh, six foot seven. Yeah, maybe. exactly, right. So uh, they're limited, mm-hmm. and they have to give some things up, but they've been really clever in the way that they've gone about it. And I think more times than not, you get done with a Creighton game, and you're like, okay, what were their objectives defensively? And one, two, and three, you can check them off. And sometimes four and five aren't – they don't hit them and they get burned by that. But more times than not this year, they have designed a game plan that's worked, that's been executed. And um, I think the coaching staff, Paul Lusk, they deserve credit for that. So, Absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah. 
I, I don't like the idea that I don't like it when people say, "Oh, Creighton was picked seventh, so thus if it exceeds that preseason expectation placed on it by outsiders, then that means that it was a good coaching job." Like I think you can have a good coaching job if you're picked first and you win it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I think because Kevin Willard certainly was in that he, position and he had some challenges. He had incredible year coaching. Over, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he had incredible coaching. Season. I mean, today I thought it was a well-coached game for both teams. I, you know, I just I thought Creighton's players made plays in the end, but I thought yeah. from a coaching standpoint, that chess yeah, match was I, I really don't know fun. How, that was a high-level chess match. I don't match. know how many times Seton Hall scored out of timeouts, but it felt like every time. Yeah, right. <laughs> they designed some really clever stuff. But, so I, I don't like looking at, looking at it through that lens. Sure. But I do think when you, I mean, after every game, again, you sort of assess sort of the moves that were made, and it just felt like Creighton's staff was on the right end of that yeah that chess match it wasn't just like riding a a legendary player that people didn't see coming it was like a cohesive effort from players improving um playing at a high level and also from a schematic standpoint coaches putting those guys in position to be successful and from a game plan standpoint uh covering up as much defensive warts as they could to be salty enough on that end to let the offense be you know, overwhelming in the end yeah. that got them to the point they're at right now. And, and the other thing, too, I wanted to note is Greg McDermott, he just knows this team so well mm-hmm. in terms of what guys can do what correctly. Who, I mean, Denzel Mahoney starts 0-2, maybe takes a couple ill-advised shots, a couple quick shots. He goes to the bench, and, and Max leaning over as Denzel's sitting there talking to him, sort of re-engaging him and... and inspiring him like he I feel like he just knows what buttons to push he knows when it's time to go to his bench when it's time to sub in and out went to the small lineup right at the I mean Christian Bishop got an and one and then Greg decided okay let's go small here and like that one on the game yeah so he he has a good sort of feel for his team and it plays out it you can see it on the court with the way uh the way he uses his rotations and and uh, works guys in and out, and obviously deals with the players on a on a one on one level mm-hmm. on the sideline and stuff. So I, he's definitely deserving of Coach of the Year in the conference. I would be surprised if he doesn't get it. I would be too. Speaking of appreciation, apparently there's fifteen sixteen left in the first half, and Butler and Xavier is two nothing. Oh. So yeah, that's not great. Yeah. Um, uh, Pete Berklin wants to know how do you see the change in Creighton when teams try to slow the pace. They seem more confident in getting stops no matter their rotation. So the teams that have tried to really slow down, you know, play walk it up ball and keep Creighton into like a under sixty, under seventy possession game basically. Um, Nova, Butler, Xavier, Seton Hall today. Providence. Doesn't everybody who who runs with them? Georgetown and St. George, John's. Georgetown and St. John's. Yeah. Maybe DePaul. Yeah, so DePaul didn't like try DePaul, to slow it down. DePaul didn't try. I don't think DePaul can slow it down. I don't think they know what transition defense is. Um, but yeah, I don't. And Seton Hall. Well, did you like Seton Hall didn't? In the do first it match. Yeah. I just said today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just today. Yeah. Uh, I, the change, I guess, is you know, for one thing, I, I just think Creighton has seen it all, especially the players that have like the big three: Marcus, Mitch, and Ty, have played so many minutes together. <clears throat> they kind of know what to expect, and while Denzel is new to this thing, basically in a half season, um, with Damian healthy and Denzel kind of into the fold, it's, I guess they just follow that three, who are so comfortable maybe in any situation. Um, but it comes down to execution, honestly. If Creighton can, Creighton can execute fine in a half court game. They can still get the shots they want. They can still get to the spots they want. Um, but with their uh, with the with the teeth that they have defensively on this end, they they're able to create more opportunities for themselves to open the open the game up a little bit. And I think that's what you saw tonight against Seton Hall. The Seton Hall game was dictated by the Pirates for most of the afternoon, um, and then up until the point where they got the lead in the second half, and then Creighton created two open floor situations right off the bat. I think three open floor situations right off the bat um, as soon as uh, Seton Hall got that lead. And I think it's just like. They just know how to look for the right openings and attack when they're when when they see them. Yeah, and um, then it just comes down to making the play at that point. You know, finishing at the rim or hitting the open shot. Uh, 
it's just repetition, I think, more than anything else. They've been in these positions where teams try to slow them down enough um, to the point where they know how to get – they know how to be opportunistic with their transition opportunities. Even if it's not going to come within a free-flowing, open-game situation constantly, they know how to find tra- opportunities to attack and get easy buckets. And, I mean, it started with the first possession of the game with Tyshawn deflecting Miles Powell's uh, kind of flip back. Um, Jefferson picks it up, throws it to Tyshawn, layup. Like, that's, that's, that's easy points they manufacture with their defense, but it's opportunistic in terms of the attack mentality they have because they just see the opening and they go. They don't have to force it. I also think, like, just the general attitude they have in these types of games is different than last year. I don't know if this is 100% true because I, I haven't asked the players directly, but it kind of felt last year like last year if they couldn't run, it was kind of like, eh. Dang it. Yeah, we're not us right now. This isn't our game. Yeah. And this year, they're kind of like, okay, fine. You want to slow it down? Cool. Like, we'll do that. Yeah. And we want to go possession for possession and try to out-execute us, yeah. fine. Right. Like, yeah. we feel that we can offensively, if you if you want us to work the ball around and you have and you have you want to play defense for 30 seconds against us, we're going to find a good shot. Like, mm-hmm. that's their mentality. And then on the other end, um, <laughs> just the way they spun it around, you know, like uh, – Seton Hall's walking the ball up. I feel like last year kind of been like, dang it, we can't yeah. we can't control the pace. This year they're like, okay, you're giving us 10 extra seconds to rest, <laughs> and then we're going to come at you even harder for these final 20 seconds of your possession mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a defense. I think their attitude shifted, and some of that's come with experience and confidence. Um, but, yeah, they, don't, they definitely don't seem to be uncomfortable in – games like this this by the way i looked at it it was 60 possessions today at least according to ken palm 60 possessions which is the slowest pace game today was jesus and creighton had 77 oh my points. god are you serious i didn't know it was only 60 according to ken palm I, I again i don't know i mean that's how absurd that last stretch of the game was to for them to get to 77 they had 30 points in 13 that's possessions, that's so. just that's yeah. flat out stupidity i, think I don't creighton, even think that's according really. to ken palm creighton is now uh Third in adjusted offensive efficiency. Who are the, who's the top two? Dayton and I would guess like Gonzaga. Dayton and Gonzaga is my guess, yeah. but um, Jesus, that's absurd. Gonzaga's one, Dayton's two, Creighton's yeah. three. That makes sense. Um, Kathleen wants to know. Uh, she has two questions. One: What's the source of the new focus on defense? The Jays' offense has been stellar for years, but this year's defense brought them to a whole new level. I don't know. You know, we've talked about it kind of in different ways throughout the year, but, you know, mindset is important. Um, There's a buy-in to executing the game plan and maybe understanding that, you know, maybe having an understanding of their flaws as a roster to the point where they know – where they kind of have to hang their head on the floor. Like, they, like Tyshawn knows he's got to do whatever he can to stop the top scorer from getting into a good rhythm and, and get on a heater, which he's done now throughout the entire regular season. Uh, you know, Marcus Zagorowski at times hasn't always been really good defensively and has been challenged in practice to be better on that end of the floor. And I think he's shown some growth in terms of just his ability to be more disruptive on the ball and and more aware of what's going on around him in terms of navigating big ball screens and and being in the gaps and and digging down in the post and you know Mitch Ballack's ability to communicate and see things coming before yeah. they happen and being able to communicate that throughout the entire team and get everybody on the same page about what's coming what's coming at them. I think Damian Jefferson has gotten a lot better at his on-ball defense. Yeah. Um, certainly his his health has a lot to do with that, I think, but also his just level of, you know, his just ability to sit down and guard now is just better. I think the team is just more bought in. What about Christian? To that the floor. Christian, absolutely. Hedging I mean, hard on ball screens today was remember huge. How, remember how he used to, uh, uh, you know, he praised Martin's ability to do that and how disruptive it was. Now, Christian and, isn't forcing as many turnovers as Martin, no. but he's doing but his, the job. But his jump in terms of what he's done from freshman, hardly playing, to sophomore year and his ability to do that, to a level that makes the ball handler have to at least come out toward half court and and not be able to have such an easy um, way of getting around him. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's the thing. It's like not only does he force – they set that ball screen, he forces the ball handler to like sort of retreat back to half court. 
he's active enough with his hands that they can't just quickly dump the ball off to Bishop's man or dump the ball to the uh, guard right next to him who could then rotate the ball around and mm-hmm. catch Creighton in like a four-on-three situation. Like he... Because Butler, a- Butler tried to force that a few times in the home game here, and he deflected a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so his improvement there, and to do it without foul, he got, I think, got one foul on that when really Miles Powell just looked like he just was just like, fell into I'm going to run right into yeah. you and see if I can get this call. Right. Like, lower, <laughs> like, savvy veteran player. Yeah. Um, but yeah, every guy's gotten better, and I think their understanding of what the coaches want him to do. Um, and why? Like, yeah, I think why is important. I think them knowing that they don't. That if they're if 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 they're not, you know, sound with where they're supposed to be and 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 good at moving with the ball and and, and switching and talking and and being in the gaps that they're going to get carved up. Mm-hmm. And I think they understand that. Yeah. So, from that perspective, it's just a matter of it's not that they've been surviving on that end, but they also but it's just a matter of they know how to they know how to survive on that end of the floor instead of just trying to. Um. And she has a second question. Will Mintz be back next year? So much has changed since he last played, but it'd be great to have him back in the mix. Uh, TBD? Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. I think that's it. That's the last of our questions. Probably should address Marcus Sigurowski's injury. It is. Yeah, I told everybody to back off on Marcus here because we, uh, uh, we reported what we reported. But... Um, yeah, Marcus, uh, I haven't actually gone back and watched it, but he said he got it caught up on that third-to-last defensive possession when I don't know who stripped. I think it might have been Damian who knocked the ball out of Mamu's hands on a drive in the lane, and um, there was kind of like – it was on the floor loose for from a what, minute. From what I saw, he lunged for a steal and just landed awkwardly on his right knee. Okay. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah. Again, I haven't seen it. Either, but yeah, I'm not going to speak intelligently about that because I did not see what happened. Okay, so I just know it was not. I don't think he was contacted at all. Mm-hmm. I think he just like lunged and landed weird on it. So yeah, yeah I and said he up, was. A, he he it, said he, he you know he was smiling and everything while Creighton was celebrating. He just wasn't part of. He wasn't up. He was sitting on the bench, but he says he'll be okay. Um, obviously, that's not again. A, that's not a prognosis. Like he doesn't know what the what he heard or what it, what it is, but um, I mean, the, they won't know no more until at least Monday when they get when checked out. Check so. out. I'd imagine they're monitoring the swelling, so tomorrow that'll be a, a big day to see how much it swells up. Mm-hmm. Coach McDermott, what did he say? He didn't think it was terribly serious. Right. Is that what he said? Yeah. But that's, got, initial, a, that, that's got an ominous uh, right. tone to it in general, too, because of the history of being told that things aren't serious than them being absolutely serious mm-hmm. so yeah we'll see um yeah because i think obviously i think, the, I think how it goes is like you can't get if it swells up you have to wait to get the mri or something like that i don't know but they're probably not getting it looked at until monday because it's monday like you're not going to do it on sunday so right yeah so that's what we know about marcus but he was incredible today um looked like i mean him he and tyshawn just absolutely yeah, there was that stretch where they um kind of took the game over. I mean, they put this whole city on their back and kind of just made play after play on both ends of the floor, and Seton Hall had no answer for either of them. Um, so, yeah, he. Put, I don't think people are going to forget uh, that performance from those two guys specifically for a long time because that was pretty – that stretch in particular, you know, the rest of their season, which has been impressive notwithstanding alone, that stretch in particular when it came down to, like, who's who wants it more and – and who's going to kind of take it? Who's going to seize the moment? Uh, I mean, I I won't forget watching Marcus just like make a play and talk crap and you know just like talk to himself and yell at himself and pump the crowd up and and Tyshawn with the effort he had on both ends of the floor. Um, those two guys definitely earned what they earned their right to celebrate today. Yeah. However, however the East Coast media feels about it, they. I they carried say, this. They carried the city for you know about a five minute stretch, and it looked like it, it's, it was pretty it's, impressive. It's so interesting because like Tyson Alexander, to me, he's the defensive player of the year in the league. But didn't he see sealed the deal today? Right, I, I like, think so. like I don't know how. He there, I, I've you know I've watched but, every Big East game. I don't remember someone having the defensive impact that he's had. Um, I mean, Romaro Gill, but 
the thing is, is against Creighton, Romano Gill didn't play much because... Yeah. But Gill's assignment is to stand there and play volleyball, basically, yeah. right? Like, he'll swat the ball when it comes near you. Yeah, I, I like I like Jagan Mosley. I like Sadiq Bay. Mm-hmm. Bay's um, really good. Quincy McKnight and Aaron Thompson are both really good, but I just think what Tyshawn Alexander did, especially against the best players in the league, he did what others couldn't yeah. and slowed him down. And That's the one thing I go back to about McKnight and, and Thompson is, like, they've got a... They've got one of those dudes on their squad. Tyshawn has to guard those people. Yeah. He doesn't He doesn't have a night off. Right. Maybe next year they'll be like, well, Tyshawn's got Marcus Zagorowski. He doesn't have to guard him. Maybe next year that'll be that. But, <laughs> but, but for this year it wasn't. What I was going to say, Howard Powell and Baldwin were the three was, top dudes in the league, and he guarded them yeah. all. Sadiq well, Bay, you, look at, you, you go back throughout the whole league. He shot, Sadiq Bay's numbers against Tyshawn Alexander? Yeah, Everybody talks about him as an NBA prospect, not from those two games. Yeah. So I mean, Kamar is like the only one who really got going against Tyshawn. I thought. right, no, agreed. That second half in at Hinkle was basically. Yeah. And it wasn't all against Tyshawn in that second. No, half, it wasn't. But, but he did. He, he did, did take over the game. Yeah. But but with that said, though, I still feel like Zagorowski's the MVP. Yeah, I felt like when you were when you watched the which game, which is weird because Zagorowski's not he's not in conversation for Player of the Year in, mm-hmm. the, in the conference. But I mean. He, how he he's like the centerpiece of all this for the Jays. As, yeah. as, as, as important as Tyshawn is, it's one of the reasons why this team is what it is. It be because you can kind of make an argument for uh, most valuable or most important player. Mm-hmm. Each guy kind of seems to have a case to be made because yeah. they all fit into their roles. But so they did well. share the title, so there's like you can't go into whatever you're going to go into the next few days and. And kind of put your all all your eggs and be like, well, Tyshawn better be the defensive player of the year. Marcus better be the player of the year. Well, he's better not, be the yeah, coach of the year. Like, right. there's there's you know there's a three way tie at the top for yeah, the title. No so everybody, to the victor go the spoils. There's three victors. So like, <laughs> they've got to share this stuff somehow. I guess so, what I, my my thing is like Tyshawn Alexander gets a lot of attention, rightfully so, mm-hmm. from the league. But like Marcus Zagorowski feels like the the key piece for all, like, yeah. all of this. Like, it's, is it possible for him to be underrated somehow? Because he doesn't get the headlines that... That anyone... That, right. Uh, yeah. But then you hear... Certainly it. not that his performance is dictated, like... Yeah. Again, the numbers he's had, and he's, like, down the stretch here. Take away... If you just take away the St. John's and the Providence game, which I don't like to do because I like the way he bounces back from those performances. Mm-hmm. I think that, to me, is the most impressive part of his sophomore story. Is the way he doesn't let one become two, become yeah. three. He let it happen once, and then he corrected it in a almost flawless way, right away. And that's I think that to me is impressive because he's as a sophomore to do that from a from a game to game standpoint is impressive. And then I wonder if as a junior or senior he can do it from like maybe half to half or stretch to stretch, yeah. like where he's able to just say, "All right, I'm not." You know, I think the Providence game was a glimpse of it because he had, you know, he had the Didn't he have whatever it was before. In that game? Or am I, I, I think I, maybe, yeah. But he I had, mean, yeah, I think he turned the ball over like six times that game. Okay. Um, so he had really been struggling, and then bang! At the end of the game, he hits the biggest shot. Oh, you're uh, talking about the Providence game? At, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah at home. In Omaha, man. yeah. Where he where he got sick before the game, it didn't start. Uh, really struggled when he got in there, and Mac was potentially looking at him to say, "Hey." is it even right for you to be out of here right now? Like, are you good? And he just kept saying yes. So Max stuck with him, and then eventually hits the game winner. Like, that to me is, like, the next step for him. He goes He goes from – he doesn't struggle from game to game right now. He's good at kind of taking one bad game and, and then having four or five good ones after that. Um, you know, next might be if he has, like, a bad stretch or a bad half, um, can he get himself right after that? But no. I think that's been impressive so far as the, from the sophomore years, his ability to right. bounce back. I will say, no, because I've heard a lot of people say this over the last couple of weeks. It seems like if Marcus Zagorowski doesn't play well, Creighton doesn't win. For the most part, that's accurate. Sure. But I would say, I mean, he had, I think he had eight assists against Arizona State, but it wasn't like his best game. I don't remember yeah. how many turnovers he had. The DePaul game on the road when he had 10 assists, I don't know if he necessarily shot the ball great. I think he was one for yeah, eight. No, he didn't in that shoot game, it one great. So. But he did impact it. Yeah. But that's the thing, same thing with Providence. Is like, I think he had seven assists in that game. He was right. one for 10 from the floor. Right. But it was his worst shooting he, game of his career, but he had seven assists and only two turnovers. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's I don't know. It doesn't even. I don't. 
But he just missed shots and it looks bad. But yeah, yeah, like, yeah that's different. No. So he, he he does have a a way to. I don't know. I just I. It's the one thing that I've heard a couple. I just wanted to sort of point that out, kind of talk through it. I don't know if he has he even played. Like, has he had bad games? I don't even know. Like, do you say he played bad at Providence? Oh Did right, he play, okay. Oh, he might have well, played bad at St. John's. I think oh, he, I don't think he game. played well at the Pro, in the Providence game at home. Definitely didn't play well. Oh, that's true. Until the, until um, he made San Diego State, he didn't play well at all. Yeah. So those are two that stand out to me in terms. I don't of, think he played well at St. John's. Yeah, he, I don't think he did yeah. either. So yeah, those those three definitely come top of mind. I think that would be it though. Maybe first half Arizona State. Yeah, that wasn't great. Tyshawn yeah. wasn't great that day either. No. Um. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else are we going to talk about? I don't know. I think that might be it. Because uh, I don't really know how the Big East is shaking out. I don't think anybody does at this moment. Three-way tie at the top. Creighton's the one seed. Um, but I don't think they know the 7-10 game yet, right? Because Butler and Xavier decided. Yeah. Yeah. As we're recording this, they're playing. But uh, I believe Butler is the – I think the 4-5 matchup is Providence-Butler. So Creighton, if it were to beat Georgetown or St. John's, Oh, the four, the four or five is set, you're saying? I think so. Okay. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that's right. So they're not on Providence, Seton Hall, or Villanova's side of the bracket? Correct? No, Providence is the four. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I was like, what? Um, okay, so they potentially might face the hottest team in the country in round two. Yeah. Creighton, Providence again at MSG, maybe. Um wouldn't complain about it. They've had some legendary games in that arena, so I'm all up for it. Uh, let's see. Uh, I mean, I feel like we want to plug some stuff, but I also feel like we're going to kind of overwhelm people in the next few days with, with Biggie's tournament coverage and whatnot. Should mm-hmm. we just cut that one short? Unless you got something top of mind. Uh, just You know where to go. Yeah. Omaha.com for John. com for this podcast and more. Um, but over the next few days, you know, John's going to kill it, and uh, we're going to try to keep up. He's so good. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, you are. Um, <laughs> Thank. And John's gonna, you know, he's gonna make sure Simon's all good to go, so he can go on his first road trip without, without the little guy. Yeah. Leave a mom and baby at home. Yeah. Say some mm. prayers, people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, so just follow along, and we'll give you what what we got from New York, um, and then selection Sunday, and then uh, we'll see where Creighton goes from there. Um, until then, thank you for your questions. Thanks for following along during the regular season. Um, thanks for listening to the podcast. We will talk to you when we talk to you. Have a good one, everybody. Celebrate it. Don't listen to those East Coasters. <laughs>